Hi, everyone, and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. We're doing a special update from the new 2013 movie. And here with us now is, of course, as always, Donovan. Hello, guys. And we have Brian joining us. Welcome, Brian. Good to be back. Another time you're coming to join us. Uh, possibly our number one fan. Thank you. I, it's good to have a fan. I hope so. I just hope, <laughs> that, I just hope that when I'm a guest star that somebody is listening. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You're here. So, okay. Well, whatever. Well, okay. actually, so, our listening ship goes up when you're on because your wife listens to those episodes. <laughs> <laughs> true. We, we double in our, in our uh, viewership. Anyway, we have another update. And uh, this particular update is going to cover the topic of the second teaser trailer, which had come out not too long ago. And uh, we just have lots of things to say about it, because uh, we're just really excited. So uh, let's just jump into it. Uh, there's a, a little more detail about what the storyline might be. Some nice voiceover by Pike, and we get to see Cumberbatch's character in The Brig. Yes. So it's really, for me, for me what... What I what I would summarize it is the beginning, the first half, maybe the first third, is the di- most different part. Then it slides into the the latter portion, which is pretty much stuff we saw in the first che- teaser trailer, and then it wraps up at the end, uh, showing some of the stuff from the Japanese first te- teaser trailer, where we see two hands going up against a uh, a, a glass wall. Right. That's exactly it. That was a good synopsis. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, just like Donovan said, the big thing is that we've got a great voiceover by Pike, and he is kind of giving a little warning to our captain, isn't he? He's kind of harsh. Don't you think he's he a little harsh? He is. You're, he said basically you're arrogant, and if you keep it up, you're going <laughs> to screw up and get everybody killed. Exactly. Hmm. I so wonder who he's going to... That, that means that somebody's going to die. <laughs> which, they've, which they've hinted at uh, in other ways. You just said that like you like like you're commanding it. Donovan has spoken. No, Somebody must die. It, it's it's it, to me it, it it's pro- it just seems like it's a very heavy-handed like hint. Yeah, and of well, course the, the other is, hint. Oh, go ahead. But the question is, is that going to be in the film? Remember the teaser for the last film, the 2009 film, there was all this stuff with Pike talking, and not all of it made it into the film. So it may just be teaser tra- trailer stuff. Right. There was there was some good lines in the teaser trailer that, that Nero said that didn't make it into that film. The wait is over. Exactly. Yeah. As he was busting them out of Ruripenthe. Mm-hmm. Which we did eventually get to see in the deleted scenes and in... Nero. Right, the comic book, right. So anyways, back to this one. Brian, you weren't with us last week when we talked about Cumberbatch's Loki impression, where he's just going to be in the uh, brig for a good chunk of the movie. Right. Uh, (laughs) But is that all according to his nefarious plan? So what are your thoughts on him? Who do you think he might be other than John Harrison? I don't think he's anybody else. I mean, they, they, they named him as John Harrison. I, I assume that he's just a new character that we haven't seen yet. Um, I, I just, yeah, that's the mystery that they're doing a pretty good job. They keep talking about revenge and this horrible power that's gonna, you know, encompass the Federation. But they don't. We have no clue yet. In spite of all the stuff that's been released, what is gonna be actually the threat? What's gonna be the, the dramatic point that, that causes all the action? 
So you think the the con rumors is is a done deal? It's that's not that's not even on the table anymore. I don't think so. Yeah, neither do I. Like I said last week, I think John Harrison might be the guy in the cryo tube right next to Khan on the Botany <laughs> Bay, and they take him up instead. Yeah, mm. could be because there is a shot in the trailer. Uh, I don't remember what time it was because. You know, I, I didn't uh, rewatch it all that often, but there's a certain shot right after they're folding the flag that then it shows yes. what looks like a whole bunch of coffins. And morgue. what's that? It looked like a morgue to me, like a makeshift morgue. Yeah, but the but the head of the coffin is glass. So why would you have a glass faced coffin? It, so I think, well, what if that's supposed to be some sort of cryo cryo chamber? Anything. Uh, it's not bad. I mean, the 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 folding of the flag definitely, you know, alluded to it being funerary. Yeah. So if if it isn't, if Donovan's right, then JJ's messing with us, which would not be the first time. No, no, not at all. I mean, they definitely messed with us with that first one, the first trailer where it shows the Enterprise crashing in water and then coming out of the water, and we think that those scenes might be related, but. Um, We'll talk about I, uh, maybe next week that that's not necessarily going to be the case. The first nine minutes, yes. Well, so I, I think I, I think John Harrison is going to be uh, personally. I think he is some kind of product of uh, eugenics or Donovan's favorite theory about him being some kind of combination hybrid between Vulcan and Earthling. There's something about him. Uh, I think they actually said this in some of the Paramount press releases that he has superior physical and mental abilities compared to a normal uh, person. Right. Well, that that's where the whole Gary Mitchell rumor comes from. Well, yeah, but well, and the con con because both would he also that. has physical prowess and supposedly mental increased mental prowess too. Although he did a lot of dumb things in Star Trek too. Anyway, he's intelligent. But not experienced. Exactly. <laughs> and, and you know what? Out of all the Superman, he was the most flawed because he aged while all the other people on the Botany Bay stayed young in uh, in Viral in Star Trek Two. I know. So I think he Good was point. a flawed Superman. Oh, that must be it, right there. Well, anyway, hmm. so it's going to be interesting to see what his real story is. And another thing that's kind of interesting is apparently they've decided to do a, a terror-themed one. So the Federation is experiencing terror, and the Federation always represented the United States. I mean, that's pretty obvious. Um, mm-hmm. The Klingons were always the Russians, and uh, the Romulans were, I don't know, uh, the Chinese. I don't know. There's all these parallels. And in our modern world, we've gone through and experienced uh, terror, the, the toppling of the Twin Towers, Osama bin Laden, all that kind of stuff. Osama bin Laden was on the U.S. payroll for a long time in Afghanistan fighting against the Russians when they occupied. And in the end, right. he was a product of, to some degree, the U.S. And then later, he becomes our greatest enemy. So, I don't know. Maybe they're trying to do some kind of parallels here with that, with this story. But now John Harrison is Osama bin Laden. I don't know. There's a theory. John bin Laden. John Bin Laden could be. That's actually that's that's pretty involved, Ken. I, I'm impressed. Um, and you know, we did that with um, Enterprise. The uh, whole, one whole season was basically a, a post 9/11 statement. You know, where 
the whole uh, Earth gets the big gash through it, right. and people are lost. Right. Um, but who knows? Right. Yeah. So I mean, Harrison obviously looks like he might be a Federation Starfleet officer since he's wearing the uh, the the uniform through the trailer. Right. Yeah, I thought I read that well, somewhere. Not through the whole trailer, but yeah, right. Definitely when he's incarcerated, and when he's sitting maybe in the captain's chair in that or, one scene. Or a captain's chair, yes. Or a captain's chair, right. Yep, there are a lot mm-hmm. of scenes where he's got a Starfleet partial uniform on. Are you guys convinced yet? I, I, I'm pretty convinced that the, the two hands at the end are Spock and John Harris from within oh. John Harris's cell looking out at Spock. Okay, and why? Okay, so this is this is kind of like in the middle of the movie, then maybe. Oh, who knows? But it's oh, okay. Uh, but, but okay, so it's definitely if what you're saying is it's so Spock has a relationship with John Harrison, then. Right, something's going on there. Right. Yeah, I kind of thought the uh, same thing last week. I I kind of thought that maybe that was actually uh, John Harrison's death scene, and that not Spock's death scene. You know, kind of. To, mm-hmm. to draw a parallel Flipping to it. Star Trek 2. Right. Mm-hmm. But you're right, it could just be him in the cell. Well, it's definitely, the way that it was released, they're definitely messing with us. I mean, that was definitely on purpose. <laughs> right. <laughs> Especially with the voiceover of what you, uh, what does it say? Is there anything you would not do for family? And then that's, that's the scene they're showing at that time. So, right. yes. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it still could be Cybok or uh, Cybok. George Kirk. You know, I'm not ruling those two out either. Well, he definitely looks nothing like he. He, he does not look Cybok. like a Vulcan. <laughs> who, who of course, who of course is uh, Spock's brother, right. but uh, from from Star Trek V, uh, one, uh, one of the most stellar contributions to the canon. No, I watched that. Re- I watched that within a year, like when it first came out on Blu-ray. And I got to tell you, I really gave it a chance. <laughs> I, I really said, okay, just you know, forget everything, just take it, you know, as if you're watching it for the first time. Right. I got through about, about 20 minutes. Oh, just was, oh you, you know, didn't even finish. You didn't watch it? No, no, no. I watched it, but before I was just like, oh, <laughs> yeah. It's oh, a it's hard not movie that to bad. Watch. It's pretty bad, but th- there are parts that there are parts I like. There are parts I do like. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and for the much much blind camping parts yes. at the beginning, I kind of like being around the campfire. Yeah, I the marshmallows. That nice. That's I like great. That. That's a great. I just thing. found it. I just found the campfire scenes very painful. I don't know why. I, I just uh, did. I kind of like it. The, 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 now, the, now, you know what? You know what redeems it? There's one thing that redeems it, and that is what? when when Kirk says, "I miss my old chair," and <laughs> And Spock just looks like, oh, you know, it's really <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, actually, what I think redeems it is when Kirk is climbing up El Capitan and he falls off, and then Spock's in the gravity boots or something, and he heads downward, and then he's able to right himself and then grab Kirk before he smashes on the rocks, and they show a shot up of Spock, and you can see the wires. Yeah, that's that. That really uh, saved it for me. Oh, you can see uh, the wires. Oh God, yes. Yeah. At least I remember. I, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I remember seeing the wires. It just didn't seem good. There was a lot of hype about that scene. I think I saw William Shatner at a convention, and uh, there was a lot of talk about it. When I actually saw it, I was like, oh, you know, the the, the actual shot of the guy falling is pretty cool, but 
our actors inserted in there is just painful. Uh, anyway, so what? Well, enough. Moving on. Just a Star Trek Five little extra, yeah. or is this supposed yeah. to be? <laughs> okay, so so I don't think it's Cybok, but you know. Oh, I don't think it's Cybok either. <laughs> so I, I think we can rule that rule that out. But uh, but I do find it funny that in all the uh, the little press releases that. Uh, CBS, Paramount, whoever it is now, is releasing. It says that this terror, whatever it is, is attacking the only family he has left, Kirk's only family he has left, his crew. crew. His crew, yeah. So what happened to George or Johnny or whatever his new name is? Right. Mm. Uh, Or uh, is his mother dead at this point? Yeah, his mother's dead. Okay. Okay, well, yeah, he's got whoa, his brother. Whoa, 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 whoa. His mother's oh, not dead. You're his right. His mother's off-world. I don't know if she's dead. You're right. No, That's no, a good I think, point. I think the, the novel says she's off-world. Even in the future when he goes off to Starfleet Academy? I don't, well, think, we don't, I don't think we know that. I think the only thing we know is when he was a kid right. and his stepfather says, just because your mother's off-world doesn't mean you can get away with everything. Exactly. I think that's yeah. the only thing we really know. Okay. So anyway, at, at the very least, he should have a brother. Right, exactly. So that's why I think maybe the the reason why he hates Harrison so much is that maybe Harrison caused the death of George Kirk, uh, or oh. I'm just reaching for it because yeah. it, it keeps saying that Kirk hates this guy, hates him. Right. Mm-hmm. He's he's got a personal he's got a re, he's got a personal uh, vendetta or something, right? So mm-hmm. the only the only two people I can think that would cause that kind of reaction on this version of Kirk is his brother and Pike. So I think that yeah. Pike might also be the one that, that bites it early. Oh, really? I don't oh. think so. I think they're going to keep him around. Yeah, he's great. I, I could, I, I, oh, he's great. Uh, what, he, Brian, he, Brian Greenwood? What, yeah. What, uh, is that his uh, name? Bruce Greenwood. Oh, Bruce Greenwood. He is an excellent choice for uh, for, for Pike. Uh, he, and they, and they, yeah, they got to yeah. keep him around. I will be very disappointed if at some point I don't see Bruce Greenwood sitting in that chair with the two flashing lights. The oh, no. The, the... <laughs> well, I, th- I think you can get ready to be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> but but so I must say, wasn't that a pretty conventional wheelchair he was in at the end of the first movie? Yes. I thought, I, I thought wheelchair. it... Yeah. We're that close to perfection now, Ken. Oh, okay. I guess so. Uh, well, anyway, right. so I don't think it's gonna be him. I think the the theory about George Kirk dying, I think that's a good theory. Yeah, well, it's out there. Yeah. Wait a minute, George Kirk? Oh, the oh, the brother. All right, Sam. I always think it's Sam. Right. Oh, George. Sam. Sam, George, well, Johnny. Well, Johnny. He, name well, he's been called different names. But I thought he was called George Kirk in the uh, the Jelly Baby Monster episode, whatever that one was called. Oh, uh, the an- an- Operation Annihilate. Yeah, there you go. Right, the, the plastic pancake things. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Shatner with a mustache. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and when I watched that again, I completely, because I saw it like maybe a year or two ago, but when I watched it again after not seeing it forever, it's like, oh my God, it is just Shatner in a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> I still think my favorite the favorite scene in that episode is right after it shows Shatner with the mustache and then it pans up and it shows the real Shatner's uh reaction to seeing this and Spock walks up to Kirk stepping over the dead body 
to go talk to Kirk, and I'm like, <laughs> I know you're not supposed to have emotions, but that is a jerky thing to do. <laughs> Stepping on the dead guy's brother. Or the guy's dead brother. Oh, well. Right. All right, so back to this, this trailer. So we also have Alice... Uh, Eve, who has been confirmed as Carol Marcus, so that that yep. theory panned out. Yeah, that's that's. I, I'm just I just heard that news, so I'm still processing. Right. So that, that right. Uh, I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, uh, Paramount. We talked about this in last week's episode, which that's fine, Brian, that you don't listen to our stuff anymore. But uh, no, <laughs> no, that's a just that's just a joke. But yeah, they. Paramount's been freer with press releases talking about the movie. The fact that they confirmed it was Carol is one of those things they let slip. Well, let slip. Mm. They they advertised. Right. Cool. So, uh, and the only other two things I noticed in the trailer that we haven't already talked about was it shows what looks to be a bird of prey of some sort at one point during one of the fast-moving montages. Yes, I know. What you, I, I remember seeing that. You guys saw that? Okay. Yeah. So that means we'll get to see the Klingons either in well, their bumpy heads or the little helmets. That's going to be exciting. Uh, and and I, I'm pretty sure I read something on a posting from one of the sites that said something about maybe they would actually see they would there would be a Klingon world involved in this movie. Oh, really? Yes. That sounds like a reliable source, but um, I actually heard that too. And yeah. It was on the internet, so it's got to be true. It must be. It couldn't be just somebody throwing things out there. <laughs> like us. <laughs> it's Khan! Yeah, it's Khan! Oh, it's Cybok! George, Johnny, Sam! <laughs> Alright, and then my last comment was that the dress uniform or, or whatever it is that Kirk's wearing towards the end, and I think at the beginning too. Right, yep. But uh, definitely at the end you see it. It has like the little braids on the arm and things like that. But the logo on his chest is the Star Trek the motion picture logo with the swoosh inside of a, a round circle. Did you guys nice. notice that? Oh, nice I did not notice that, but if anybody's going to notice that, you would. That's a nice catch. He, he's, Donovan's got an eye for, for the patches. Yeah, so well, I thought that was cool. And you wonder, is that intentional? Well, One it, of the big it, questions for me on the new film is how much time has passed between them? Oh well, they tell you right in the in, in the first nine minutes that we'll go over next week. They they tell you straight off the bat how long. They do. Yeah, we'll talk about it next week. Okay, sounds good. And as far as that uniform he's in, to me it kind of looks like maybe a Starfleet Academy uniform. Yeah, mm. maybe. I thought, but I don't know. Maybe that doesn't make sense. It would have to be a flashback if that's what it was. But maybe it's just a shot of him going to Pike's funeral. Oh. <sighs> oh, don't even say that. <laughs> Not even in jest. All right, so we're going a little long on here. We're going long. Trailer, so any other closing comments? Looking forward to the movie, I'll tell you that. Despite uh, some of the things I saw in the first nine minutes. <laughs> oh, if that's not a teaser for next week, I don't know what is. I think it is. So find yeah. out what Ken didn't like. So Brian, Tune in next time. Um, I, I, I got nothing. I thought it was uh, great, and I think we covered it all. Okay, great. So, uh, Excellent. everybody, hopefully you enjoyed us and uh, stick around. We'll uh, start playing the music now for episode 101. <laughs> there you go. Enjoy, everybody. Welcome. 
Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 101, recorded November 8th, 2012. Yes, so you know how sometimes we do an episode and then we go off and do other things and then come back and finish that series off? Yes. We're doing that today. Big time. So as you recall, as everybody recalls, way back in 2010, we did episode 7, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Malibu issues 1 through 3. Yes. And since then, everybody has wondered, what happened next? Exactly. Well, now we're going to tell you. Exactly. Now, luckily, we didn't split a story arc, but because <laughs> that would have been really bad. Right. Uh, but here we are with a fresh set of uh, Deep Space Nine stories. Yay. And I did not go back and, and look, but I remember those three issues being a two-parter about uh, Killer Mold that was ah. taking over the whole shit, uh, whole space right. station. Right. And then the third one was a, uh, you know, Columbo mystery type thing where Odo was trying to figure out who killed some guy. Yeah, right. So. I remember the Killer Fungus more than the... Uh than the murder mystery, but yes. Yeah, well, that one yeah. was a two-parter. That's why it, it sticks in your mind more. It could be. That and the, the picture of them using some kind of a spray device or something to beat back the killer fungus. Yes. Uh, just yeah. somehow that, that's in my mind. Anyway. <laughs> you know what's funny is I remember those very vividly, and it's hard to imagine that it was two years ago, over two years ago. Wow. That is, that is odd. Yeah. We've been doing it that long. There you go. Yeah. 100 and... Oh, go ahead. 101. Yep. That's 100. a lot of episodes. That's a lot of time. Yep. Translate weekly but it show. But like just yesterday. There you go. Okay. All right. You want to do these? Let's do them. So we're going to do issues four, five, and six of Malibu's Deep Space Nine run. And these came out November through January uh, 1993 and 1994. Right. And uh, overall, I think they're they're pretty good. I'm sure we'll have lots of comments to talk about. So uh, I guess we'll just jump straight in. I got issue number four. Uh, it is entitled Emancipation Part One and came out, like I said, November 1993. It is written by Mike W. Barr. Penciler is Gordon Purcell. Inker is Terry Pallet. Letterer is Dave Lampier. And editor is Tom Mason. So a few names we've seen before. It's uh, it, it's different than the deep C DC stuff, which uh, I guess we'll get into later. All right, so the cover starts us off with a generic-looking group shot of the main cast, all looking at the camera and posing. So it's uh, looks like it was one of those publicity stills from season one or season two that they just painted. So it's not the greatest and most original cover ever. So the uh, story starts off with Bashir and Dax on their way home. They're heading towards the wormhole. They're still on the Gamma Quadrant. 
and they're both pretty impressed with some plants that they found on a uh, planet. That's when Dax notes that the sensors have picked up evidence of a primitive cloaking device in the near proximity. No sooner has she said this than a huge alien craft decloaks in front of the tiny runabout. The massive ship catches the runabout in a tractor beam. Dax notes that they could easily break free due to its primitive technology, but suggests that they should not and instead see who they're dealing with. If their tech is that far behind theirs, then she thinks that they will have nothing to worry about. The craft is swallowed into the shuttle bay, and the two debark and start to look around. They are soon confronted by a male and female alien wielding blasters. These aliens are a very unique design. Uh, They actually look like skeletons, but with skin and muscle wrapped around each, each bone. So there are forearms and legs. You can actually see like what would be the radius on the fibula and tibia, but instead it's just kind of wrapped up in, in skin. It's, it's a very interesting design. The aliens demand that the crew drop their phasers to prove that they mean no harm. Dax refuses to do so when the male seems to faint. The woman calls for her fallen comrade, Marda! Julian wastes no time and is soon kneeling next to the fallen alien and scanning him. Dax sees no recourse now and hands over her phaser. The female states that everyone on the ship is in need of medical assistance. Dax suggests that she might know where they can receive the help they need. Sometime later, the wormhole opens before Deep Space Nine, and the large alien craft emerges. Dax contacts Operation and informs them of their new guest's dilemmas. Sisko meets Mardok, Bashir, and Dax in the airlock. Bashir takes the alien straight to sickbay. After some scans, he notices several healed injuries on the alien's back. Mardok assures him that it's nothing more than him just being clumsy. But Bashir thinks that there's more to this story. In Ops, Odo and O'Brien are commenting about the alien craft. It seems that it's a cargo ship, but there was no cargo. Odo offers the suggestion that perhaps the aliens on board were the cargo. Sisko meets with Mardok on the upper deck of the promenade. It seems that the hundreds of aliens have been given free reign over the place, and we can see them shopping and exploring the promenade and, and the shops. Sisko tries to question the man about the evidence that they have uh, uncovered that they are slaves. Mardok does not deny it. He pleads with Sisko not to send them back to their slavers. Mardok's wife, Rinda, claims that she has studied the Federation and knows that they stand for freedom. Sisko says that he cannot answer them right now and that he will have to get back with them and he walks away. In Ops, Kira is not too happy that Sisko is even having to think about it. She feels that they should not send the aliens back to their slavers. O'Brien reminds her of the Prime Directive, and that they cannot interfere with alien cultures. As the fight starts to get more intense, Dax notes that the wormhole is opening up, and another alien craft emerges from it. On the promenade, the aliens start to panic and rush to return to their ship. In Ops... The alien captain named Rogan contacts Sisko and demands that he returns his property. Sisko offers the captain to dock so that they can discuss the matter. 
Once the communications is off, Cisco informs Bashir, Odo, Dax, and O'Brien to do everything they can to throw up red tape and delay the aliens for quite some time. Satisfied with himself, he and Kira leave to greet their new guests. On the slave ship in the cargo area where there's hundreds of stacked cubicles that serve as the slaves' living quarters, Mardok passes out poison pills to all his people in case they are indeed handed back over to their slavers. They would rather die than continue as slaves. In Ops, Dax is working with Mardok and trying to locate their original homeworld. The coordinates he gave her does not match any known planet in the Gamma Quadrant. She suggests that perhaps that planet is actually in the Alpha Quadrant and starts to look there. In Quark's bar, Quark is having to throw out an alien who has racked up quite a bit of debt that he could not pay. The newly arrived slavers happen to see this, and the former slave begs them to help him get his possessions back from Quark. The slavers merely slap the alien and remind him that their newly found freedom is the cause of his misery. In Sisko's office, the slavers arrive. It is Captain Rogan, a female slave, and a few others. When Mardok sees the woman, he rushes to her and hugs his mother. The big reveal is that it's his, uh, it's his mother. She's a slave for Rogan. So the uh, formal meeting soon starts with Rogan almost immediately threatening war with the Federation over the slaves, and even quotes the Prime Directive. So it seems that the Federation's beliefs are already well known in the Gamma Quadrant. Marduk's mother speaks up and states that it is right for them to be slaves, and pleads with her son to see reason. Rogan offers the defectors an option to return to their rightful place, and he will be willing to overlook this whole incident. He leaves to give them time to think it over. Dax soon contacts the commander and informs him that she has perhaps found the alien's homeworld, and it is indeed on this side of the wormhole. Uh, with this revelation, it means that the Prime Directive may not be an issue. Later in Sisko's quarters, he and Jake are finishing their dinner. Suddenly the room shakes. Sisko contacts operations and learns that there's been an explosion on the slave ship. Sisko and Bashir board the alien craft and note that many of the slaves have been injured or killed in the explosion. Rogan also arrives and offers his assistance for finding the saboteur that caused the explosion. Marduk and Sisko do not trust the slaver and think that perhaps he somehow did it himself. Odo finds a poison pill at the site of the bomb. This proves that one of the slaves is the saboteur. They track down the alien who no longer has his pill with him, and it happens to be the alien that Quark had to throw out of his bar earlier. It seems that the alien wanted to return to the previous status quo, but uh, he did not want to be ostracized by his peers. So he thought that if he damaged the ship, then they would all have to return with Rogan. Marduk cannot believe that some of his people want to return to being slaves. He takes the situation into his own hands. He somehow steals the runabout Ganges and heads towards the wormhole. O'Brien scans the ship and tells Sisko that the runabout is set to overload, and if it blows up in the wormhole, then the wormhole itself will be destroyed. To be continued. Uh-huh. Action-packed. Uh, totally. So, uh, so that runabout might have been the Ganges. 
Ganges. What did I say? Ganges. Uh, Ganges or something. Yeah, Ganges. River. A river. What do yeah. you want? In my head, it was right. <laughs> Verbalizing it, it just came out muddled. Exactly. There you go. So here you go. Another thing where there is a threat made because all of a sudden you can blow up a wormhole with a bomb or like a ship set on overload or something. Right. And, and I seem to remember that happening a couple times in the TV series. Right. And it never did strike me as right. Well, I guess if they destabilize the the entrances... Destabilize. Somehow. I mean, the wormhole would still be there, but there would be just no way to get to it. Right. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought a wormhole is a black hole, basically. Well, that's... that's uh... Stephen Hawking's and their thoughts on what a wormhole would be. Right. But that's not okay, what but Star Trek wormholes are. Apparently not, because you can fly in and out of them without getting smushed like an ant. Sure. I mean, and there's all these swirly lights and stuff, or... That looks really the, good with special yeah. effects. Or it could just be some, you know, dated, red, pixelated-looking things and everything moving slow motion. <sighs> There you go. So anyway, I, 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 yeah. So, so your idea of destabilization, okay, fine. I just think it's all a little BSy to me. But, right. Yeah. Whatever. Plus, we all know the wormhole aliens won't let that happen. <laughs> well, we know now. <laughs> the wormhole aliens, yeah. Of which Cisco is a part part descendant, part part. Worm show, wormhole alien? Anyway. Right. Yep. So, uh, there may have been a wormhole alien. Right, 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 right. Okay, cool. Okay, so I just want to say always liked runabouts. I thought they were they're, they're cool, nice, cleanly designed ships. Big compared to those dinky little Enterprise D shuttles. Right. But still kind of small if you get into a battle situation or something. Like right. they thought they might have been in at the beginning. Um, but I, I, I like runabouts. They're very cool. I like them. I agree. Yep. Nice no design. There. Yes. And uh, and also, if I could just mention in Voyager, I always liked the look of the Delta Flyer also. But that's a different, that's a different it, series. Yeah, and it's they're definitely going for a different aesthetic there. That one was supposed to look like a little hot ride. And right. I think that the runabout always looked kind of like a little tank. Ah. Yeah, but still cool looking. But a little tanky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Tank, tanks are cool. What do you mean, still? Tanks are cool. Maybe if they put a fez on it, it might would be cooler. <laughs> Fezes right. are cool. They are cool, aren't they? Okay. So, speaking of design, I, what did you think about the alien ship design? Well, it was supposed to be clunky, and mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah, I, I did not care for it. No. Nah. The other one was pretty ugly, too. But that first slave ship is pretty bad. You know, that, that captain's ship, that looks pretty bad, too. But uh, slave ships are particularly bad looking. I thought they looked the same. Are they? Uh, they're very similar. They're extremely similar. Only the, the captain's ship is smaller. Is it? Yeah. It might, might be a little, uh, I don't know, sleeker, but they all look like garbage scows to me. Right. A garbage scow? 
Yeah, I guess it looks a little different. I thought they were the exact same ship until you said uh, that. Very similar design. Now, you could tell it's from the same planet, but they're a little different. Right. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so remind me again what the Prime Directive is supposed to be, because I thought that once you were Non-interference. But I thought once you were like a warp-capable civilization that the Prime Directive didn't really count anymore. <sighs> really? I don't know. I well, mean, yeah, that's, I mean, the... that's the point when you do the old uh, first contact and stuff, so right. maybe you got a point there. But obviously this is a a much less evolved technologically anyway species than the Federation, but organization. But right. I don't know. I, I will say that their lower legs and forearms really creep me out. Oh, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love that they had that like negative empty space in the middle of their arms where, it, where the yeah. bones would have not exactly so like you described it's like your uh, it's like, like your two main arm bones and I don't remember what those names were but you might have actually mentioned it and yeah. then the, the, the tip and then the, then the yeah it's like ah it's like you got no middle flesh. I mean, your skin is wrapped around your bones, not yeah. around the overall bone <laughs> structure. I mean, ooh. Yeah, and they really emphasize that a few times. Like they'd have the camera at, like at at like desk level, and you would see right. somebody with their hands down, and then you could like see through their that's that empty space to the person that they're looking at, like on page sixteen. <laughs> Just, they do that in 16. Oh my god. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I did. I didn't remember that. <laughs> that's that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty over the top. When his uh, when his mother is giving the speech about, you know, your father was a happy slave. Why can't you be a happy slave? <laughs> that's right. Be a happy slave. Oh yeah, there you go. I see it. Yeah, yeah. that is weird. It's pretty cool. Yeah. They're really in your face with it. A lot of the the differences. In aliens, uh, between aliens and humans, at least in the shows and the TV shows, really isn't that much, you know. Right. They put a tattoo on your face, you know. They put a little, <laughs> some ridges on your forehead, and you're good. You're good to go. Let's go. You're an alien. Okay. Act like an alien. But mm -hmm. these guys in in cartoon, you know, in in an, in animated shows or in comics, you can do a lot more. And uh, I, I do like how they're they're making them look alien. Right. I agree. Yeah, this yeah. would be hard to pull off in a live-action show <laughs> with, with you, no budget. Yeah, right, because you'd need to have CGI or something to soup, uh, overlay or whatever the real actor's arms. Or have, like, puppet arms so that they're not oh, they're not real that's arms. That's possible. That's possible. Yeah, a few of them, like CG. when the slavers show up, a few of them actually wear long sleeve shirts, so, you know, those would be easy to cover up. Right. I, remember, I remember when I was reading and I was actually thinking, oh, well, th those guys would be easy to do because they're covering up their arms. Right. But the captain, he's exposed. He's even got shorts on. Yeah, a lot of them have shorts on. Yeah. Just oh, show, off, show off those <laughs> leg bones. Show off those gams. <laughs> Anyways, I thought it was a really cool design. Yeah. yeah. So, um, a slave story. So it's uh, a little bit like Alien Nation. Um, I was getting an Alien Nation vibe off of this. Yeah. Maybe a little District 9 vibe? You mean the remake of Alien Nation? Ah! <laughs> Is it? 
I, I, I guess I never saw it that way. But you're, I guess you're right about that, aren't you? Yeah, when I when I saw the commercials for uh, Deep, um, District 9, I was like, eh, that sure sounds a lot like Alienation. And then when I even saw it, I was just like, okay, it's a little different, but it sure felt like Alienation. Similar idea. Which is not a slight, because Alienation is a great show. Alienation was a really good movie, and they did a really good job turning it into a TV show. I agree. Yes, they kept true what was cool about the movie, but you know they they branched it off enough to, you know, not you know they weren't they weren't limited to what the movie revealed because I mean they changed up some of their names and some of the family dynamic, but right, you know they got they got the general idea, and I thought that I think both of them were great. Yeah, I think Alien Nation they did great with that. I think uh, Stargate they did great with that. Um, uh, a few good examples. Right. You know, I still haven't watched any of the Stargate stuff. I've seen like a random episode here and there. I did not follow that at all. Well, there was a lot to follow. Just starting the first season. <laughs> As I'm sure you intended to when you would have that, that spare time to actually go back and look at something. Right. Yeah, we're we're still trying to plow through Voyager. Well, you've seen that already. I mean, yeah, I dig it. I liked Voyager, but it's like you saw it already. Yeah, but I think that there might still be an episode here or there that I might have missed. Oh, I don't, well. I don't granted. think I missed it, but my wife definitely hasn't seen them all. And we, A couple of years ago, we were going to watch all seven seasons. Right. And we have not yet. Ah. <laughs> we keep oh. getting distracted. Oh. Well, all right. if you get the chance, um, I, I think SG-1 is one of my favorites. But Okay, enough of that. Um, right. color, coloring issues. Oh, you saw some? I just want to mention just a few quick ones. At the beginning of the story, when they're on the slaver ship, Dax and Bashir, their phasers are like kind of a, instead of being silver, they're like a light green, brown kind of sort of color. Definitely not regulation uh, Starfleet. And since I do notice weapons, that was bugging me a bit. So which page was this? Page five? Uh, let me see the number. Don't I didn't write down the number, but it's, it would be it'd be like maybe the the fourth page of the story, fifth page of the story. You know, yeah. when she's handing over her phaser to him and Bashir has it in his hand. Yeah, okay. I guess so. Yeah, so that is page six. six. Yes. Mm-hmm. Also on the same page, Bashir has brown hair. Uh, yeah, it got a little... Well, he kind of has brown hair throughout the whole thing. Well, yeah, and and he always had dark hair. Right. But it's particularly brown as he's bending over uh, the fallen... Um, Mardik? Uh, slave. My, yeah, Mardik, that's his name, right, him. Yeah, I yeah, kept him. Call, I kept wanting to call him Mardok because of the... Mardok. Uh, General Mardok that we'll get to know later in Deep Space Nine. Ah, Cool. Anyways, all right, cool. You have more um, coloring issues? No, those are the main ones, and they're all on the same page. Right. Um, yeah. So I also noticed that uh, what Renda, the female, right, slaver alien lead one, mm-hmm. she referred to Dax and Julian as humans, which you know apparently they know. 
I at first at the beginning of the story I thought that's odd that they referred to them as humans since I don't don't see anywhere where they address themselves as humans except maybe if they were overhearing them a little bit when they first came on board and commented on the uh, on the handholds on the doors seeming to be made for humanoids. Um, so but you're right. You, where where was that? Um, again at the beginning. Um, let me see. I mean, I definitely see. Oh, that's right. So, uh, what's so uh, Renda says, "Stand back, human." When uh, when Mardok starts to faint, and Julian goes towards him. Oh yeah, you're right. Okay, there it is. Yeah. And that and in the story, the only possible way they would have overheard, uh, or they they would have known, unless they had previous knowledge, which apparently they might. I mean, since they knew about the Prime Directive. Yeah. As you I didn't mentioned like later. That part. Right. Right. So, um, but at this point in the story, I was saying, how do you know they're humans? But whatever. Yeah, good point. I didn't catch that, but I did catch how both uh, Captain Rogan and Rin- Rinda uh, knew a lot about the Federation and the Prime Directive. Right. Which I thought was, was odd, because, I mean, at this time, human human contact or Federation contact with the Gamma Quadrant is Very still thin. really new. I agree. So I thought it was a little odd that everybody knows our business <laughs> and throws it up in our face. Exactly. Well, maybe they're the more paranoid types that like to do more, um, you know, research. The slavers did? The slaves did? Because I, I kind of <clears throat> felt like they just stumbled no. across them. Yeah. And it, it, actually, I'm thinking more about the Dominion. Right. Um you know, maybe being a little bit more proactive in uh, in finding out about humans and then just word getting around. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, it does seem odd that they know so much. Right. I agree. And I like I said earlier, I I don't buy this being a prime directive issue. Um, and I don't see how if they found out that the home planet was on this side of the wormhole that it somehow voided the prime directive issue that that doesn't make sense either. If 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 your line in the sand is that you can't interfere with another culture, even if they're asking you for help, then it shouldn't matter which side of the wormhole you your home base is. Well, right? Yeah, I, I agree with you. But as per usual, the prime directive is a very fungible thing that <laughs> really just is whatever the story needs it to be. Up to so, the writer's discretion. So it seems. I mean, they 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 try they try to work within some of the boundaries that the original TV show set up, but even the TV episodes, you know, you know, kind of stretch things a bit here and there. And of course, Kirk is famous for <laughs> liberally interpreting the Prime Directive. So, right. It's another one of those things. Just go with it. I'm going with it, and I'm looking forward to seeing how this one finishes. Yes. Okay. Well, maybe we could find out about the next episode. Let's. All right, the next part of the story. Uh, Emancipation Part 2, which is the title of issue number five. All the same people were involved, except that we have a second editor, Mark Panacea? Panisa? Panisa? I don't know, something like that. So Mark is joining Tom. To uh, as the editor, everybody else is the same. Mark W. Barr, Mike W. Barr, Gordon Purcell, etc. 
This one's published date is December 1993. The cover is dominated by a semi-profile of Commander Sisko's head on the left. On the right, Odo and Quark look on as Dr. Bashir is kneeling down over what appears to be a dead body. The issue opens fast, with Dax and O'Brien running through DS9 halls to the Rio Grande's docking door. They launch immediately at top speed, attempting to intercept the other runabout, commandeered by Nomok and Mardak. I hope I got that right. Dax is attempting to foil their plans by collapsing the wormhole by blowing up the commandeered runabout while in the wormhole. The wormhole radiation is playing havoc with the transporter locking sensors, so Dax is targeting manually. Nomok and Mardok are running the ship's power conduits up to overload as fast as they can. They think closing the wormhole will ensure their freedom. O'Brien's first phasers, uh, O'Brien's first phaser shots at one-fifth power is just enough to push the commandeered runabout 180 degrees into a turn that turns them around and brings them out of the wormhole. Luckily, unable to course correct in time, and they completely exit the wormhole in time to blow the second runabout up to pieces. Luckily, Dax successfully transported the two slaves turned into terrorists prior to the explosion um, out of the Ganges ship. Back at DS9 in Sisko's office, Mardok explains to the angry Sisko he intended to close the wormhole to prevent Captain Rogan from returning them to slavery on Chiara in the Gamma Quadrant side of the wormhole. Captain Rogan and his bullying henchmen storm in past Kira's protests. Rogan makes a big show of chastising his rude right-hand man to demonstrate how reasonable he is. The escaped slaves have tried Sisko's patience. With the attempt to blow up the wormhole, Rogan calculates that one more misstep like that and Sisko may be willing to turn the slaves over to him. Sisko and Dax have a discussion that starts with the strange plant they found on the planet that can live and thrive in complete darkness with no apparent water source. By the end, Sisko reaffirms that since the slaves and slavers are aboard DS9, this mess is still his responsibility to resolve. In sickbay, Dr. Bashir is tending to Mardok's minor wounds after his attempt to blow up the wormhole. Mardok's mother enters. He says if his plan were allowed to proceed, she and all their people would be free. She asks what good is freedom if you're dead. She leaves upset saying she wishes, wishes that her son would outlive her. Captain Rogan, the slaver, enters Quark's bar where Quark dutifully fawns over him and tells Rom to break out the good brandy for the captain. After the captain is seated and Quark is ready to recite the night's specials, a bomb goes off very nearby. Rom calls security. Later, while the injured are being removed to sickbay, and cleanup progressing, Sisko is speaking to Odo and Quark. Odo reports anyone could have obtained the parts to make this primitive bomb. Quark is injured, but apparently not seriously. Later still, in sickbay, Sisko is asking the bedridden Captain Rogan, who does he think did this? 
his second-in-command, and he say it had to be Mardok. Sisko says that he will speak to Mardak next. Captain Rogan looks startled, then says he wants to speak to Mardak. His reaction is quite suspicious. In Mardak's cell, Sisko, Captain Rogan, and Rogan's number one are speaking to Mardak. Sisko asks Mardak whether he is satisfied that his crusade has killed his own mother. Mardak makes no reply, and only says they cannot turn back from their cause. Captain Rogan says Mardak won't have to turn back because he is granting he and his people their freedom, which elicits a surprised what from Mardak and sub-captain Kaldor. The captain says if he must expel Mardak and his people to bring peace to Chiara, it's a price he is more than willing to pay. On Captain Rogan's ship, the Emancipator, his number one, sub-captain Kaldor, talks the crew into mutiny against the captain to take back the slaves and protect their slaver society. Later on Mardak's ship, Captain Rogan is in the process of formally granting Mardak and his ex-slaves their formal freedom. When the ship is suddenly rocked by a directed energy weapon, Sisko asks Ops for a report, and Kira tells him the Emancipator is firing on them. Sisko orders them to raise shields and prepare phaser batteries to return fire. When they return fire, they find Sub-Captain Kaldor has somehow employed an old trick of his to boost the station's shields, which causes DS9's outbound phaser fire to reflect back and hit the station. Dax has an unlikely idea to use reflection to cause feedback from the Emancipator's directed energy weapons to damage the Emancipator. O'Brien says it might work, and they implement the idea. Sure enough, there is consistency to the laws of physics, and their resulting weapons fire feeds back and apparently temporarily disables the Emancipator. Later, Sisko's log reports that Captain Rogan has regained control of his ship and jailed the mutineers. Station damage is being repaired. Mardak's people are preparing to leave for their new world. Dax gives Nomok a gift of a flower that grows in the dark. Sisko, Captain Rogan, and Mardak are speaking together and establish Mardak's ship is resupplied sufficiently to get them to their new world and support for a time once they reach the planet. Captain Rogan says that he will handle all the arrangements to properly bury Mardak's mother when they return to Chiara. Mardak accepts his word on that, and the captain touches the top of Mardak's hand gently and with great emotion. Their form of shaking hands on it, I suppose, or is there more to it? Both ships depart DS9 and head off in different directions. The end. So, more, what do you mean by is there more to it? Uh, I'm just being sarcastic. <laughs> It's it, it looks like a very tender uh I mean by earth standards it looks like a very tender gesture on the part right. of uh Captain Rogan but uh I I suppose it's just their way of shaking hands I guess. Yeah. So can I tell you the 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 subplot that I thought was going to be revealed but never was? You can because I have the feeling I have the same one. <coughs> I thought that Mardok's father was Rogan. I think the same thing. <laughs> and I think he had a thing for his slave, his female slave. 
Yeah, he definitely uh, had a thing for Marduk's mother, but yes, it's. I mean, she does talk about Marduk's father being a slave, so that makes me think that it's not Rogan, but. Uh, that could just be a cover story, right? I, I was waiting for that to be the big reveal, and right, like when when they are parting. I have your word on that, and then you have my honor. You, if you would accept it, and then I was waiting for son, but oh. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it, it, and maybe that touch of the hand, uh, what did mean something more that he's the father, but he, right. but Mardak apparently does not not know it if that's the case. Yeah, right. I, I I had the same theory because, because I mean the, the death of the mother is the 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 turning point. I mean, yes, that's when he gives him his freedom. Right. Uh, and, although I, I don't think I talk much about it, there is a point after her death where Captain Rogan says, I would sacrifice all of you slaves if it could bring back your mother. I think that's what he said. Or right. maybe maybe he said her name. I don't remember what. Right. But at first, it, it seemed like another one of his BS plays to try to court favor with uh, Cisco. Like, yeah. see what a great guy I am? And that's the, the first thing I thought. What BS? And I thought for a second... Hmm. What if he, this isn't BS? What if right. you know he loved her or something? Uh. Anyway. Yeah, I definitely got the feeling that he loved her, and I kept waiting for there to be more to the Marduk Rogan dynamic, but it, it right. never happened. Yeah. And the thing is, it may not have happened because there wasn't enough time. And as a writer, it's like, well. Nothing absolutely says you have to tell the reader everything. Let them figure sure. some stuff out for themselves. And maybe, maybe they come back. I right. doubt it, but it's possible. Well, I don't think they'll come back into the story. I don't think, but I, I don't think we'll see these folks <laughs> in further issues. But yeah, who knows? I, I agree. I don't think it will happen. But yeah, it would. I wouldn't be opposed to it. No, but it's kind of like the end of two thousand one, A Space Odyssey. It's like. When I, because I saw the movie when I was a kid, uh, and I barely understood what the hell was going on. But I will definitely say that the end of that was like, huh? He's a baby? He's an embryo? Wait a minute, what? What? I don't get this. And then, uh, and I never got it until I read the book, and it's like, oh, Star Child. Oh, okay. Anyway. I need to watch that movie again. Yeah, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Hmm. Right. So basically in the end where the primitives touch the obelisk the mm-hmm. uh, yep. and then, then propel them into being humanoids, you know. Right. Homo sapien. The same kind of leap happened to uh, uh, Dave. whatever that... Dave. Dave, right. Dave, exactly. You know, the, the, the last astronaut. The right. same kind of leap happened, you know, evolutionary speaking. Right. So, and then he somehow get gets like reborn that. in 2010, or I, I, I've never even watched that one. Um, actually, I like that. I like that sequel, but we should, probably should not talk about it too much. But uh, he comes back, but he comes back in whatever form he wants to be, because I suppose he's, you know, he, his his evolutionary leap is complete by that point, and he's incorporeal. Ooh, nice. I think, and he just pops up places. Mm. Kind of like the Traveler. Yes, yes. yes. All right. So, right. overall, what did you think of the story? 
I th- I thought it was fine. It was fine. You yeah. know? You know, you didn't know 100% what was going on, although when you found out it was a slave thing, it was like, okay, okay, I've seen this before. Let's go. Uh, but it had a few twists in it. You know, it's fine. It's cool. I liked it. Yeah, I, I like I liked the in last issue the 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 slaver the slave sabotaging his own ship to try to oh get back without having to admit that he wants to go back. I thought that right. was a cool little twist and yeah. Um, they don't say who planted the bomb that killed Mardak's mother, but I'm assuming. I mean, it, was it Mardak himself? I mean, he doesn't come well, out did, and say he did it. No, but it doesn't say. And, and was it? Did it. And was it Captain? The cap, you know, because that's the other thing I thought. But if it was uh, Captain Rogan, then pretty bad planning. Right, he uh, almost blew himself up. Uh, well, and not to mention killing uh, somebody he cares about. Uh, yeah, know, that, that, that's one thing that I thought should have been explained a little bit more. Who who left that bomb? What was it? Right. The, I mean, who would have done it? Right, and you wouldn't think that Mardak would want to take a chance of blowing up his mother. Right. Who is normally hanging out with Captain Rogan. Right. So. And you wouldn't think that it would, you know, it's not the same guy who tried to blow up the ship because, I mean, you would think that he's being quarantined somewhere. You know, even though he was in Odo's bar in the first issue, so right. it could have been him, but that doesn't yeah. make sense. No. no I, so, yeah. that that's a plot hole I thought they probably should have wrapped up in some way. And then, right. the other thing I thought was a little odd was the whole flower thing. Oh. I mean, you're really driving it into us in the first issue, and then again in the second issue they remind us, oh, these, a- these flowers are from alien planet and they're so mysterious and then the whole payoff is oh here they are these also thrive in, in dark dank situations kind of like yeah. your life <laughs> the, yeah, yeah exactly it, like you like you it was supposed to be analogous to what the slaves have gone through so it's right. like okay well fine whatever right but it just wasn't much a payoff for all the times they had to keep reminding us about these <laughs> right <laughs> So I kept waiting for, you know, the flowers have something to do with the overall story, but nope. No. no, Just a nice little gift at the end. It was supposed to be just a symbolic thing of, you know, how living beings can survive through extreme adversity. Yeah, whatever. Okay. Anyways, anything else? On the one hand, I kind of like the uh, Dax and O'Brien show. You know, the uh, the the buddy cop drama we got going with those two. You know, always you know saving the day, whatever. But right. in both cases, their solutions seem like BS. Sorry. I mean, okay. So O'Brien is able to use the phasers and hit the front of the Ganges just enough to turn it 180 degrees, so that he hands, they head back out of the world wormhole and they. And they couldn't get control of the ship in time to turn it around again before it exited the wormhole? It's like, that seems pretty unlikely. But, okay, whatever. And then at the end, that whole thing about them do something mysteriously, uh, you know, to change the frequencies or something to cause uh, the feedback to hit Mm -hmm. the Emancipator. And it's like, that seemed like BS too. Um, Right. 
I yeah, I just like oh god. Yeah. But yeah. I will I will admit that something I have always wondered is how the heck can you fire phasers with the shields up? I've always wondered that. Well, you somehow make a little pinpoint hole so the phasers can well, come straight out. They never show that. No, they it's don't. It's like, come on, okay, fine, whatever. Yeah, maybe, whatever. <laughs> but that's something that's always bugged me. Right. So. Right. Uh, yeah, I didn't like the thing at the end. And in regards to the wormhole firing situation, right. I didn't catch that they spun them around 180 degrees. Oh, uh, it, yeah. it might be that's what they did. Uh, well, but he, what, he says he just gives them a little push. I don't know. I thought maybe he just pushed them on out the other side of the wormhole before they could explode. <laughs> the other side of the wormhole will push you out into the uh, the, the delta quadrant or whatever. The gamma the quadrant. Is. Yeah, the I gamma thought quadrant. There you I go. thought that's where he blew up. And then they they turned uh, around and went back to deep space nine. No, I I, I think they were still on the uh, you know alpha quadrant side. Not that far into it, and he just so happened to shoot him in the front just enough to turn the ship around. Mm. That, and, and you thought you thought they came out on the uh, on the on the gamma quadrant side? Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, uh, well. that's what I thought. I mean, I don't know. I mean, and O'Brien says he's shooting at one fiftieth power. Right. Right. So one fiftieth. That's enough to. Turn a ship around, Turn as opposed ship around, to blowing it up. Push it, push it further so that it can't stop in the middle of the wormhole. Yeah, right. Yeah, it seemed a little silly. It did. I mean, you know, if they wanted to do something like that, why couldn't they use tractor beams or something? You know, uh, but in reverse or something, repulsor beams. Or I just, don't know. Or ram it. I mean, nudge no. it, nudge it so that it goes further and comes out the other side, or spins around and goes back out. However, yeah. you're doing it. Right. Yep. I don't know. It it well, however it happened, I, it just seems like a bunch of hooey. Bunch of hooey. Just a bunch of horse hockey, as Sherman T. Potter used to say. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, I thought the irony of naming a slaver ship the Emancipator, or a slave <laughs> ship the Emancipator, I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's like, oh, that clever! I like that. Um, uh, I thought Subcaptain Caldo's facial hair reminded me a bit of Wolverine. 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 Yeah, I guess so. With the lamb chop type, mutton uh, chop, type mutton thing. chop kind of right. But 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 this guy really, I mean, it really went out like at a ninety degree perpendicular angle to his face. Very right. weird looking. Uh, <clears throat> which Logan's wasn't like that. That's why I said just reminded me. No, I get it. You know. I can see it. And uh, that's all I'd say. Yep. Okay, cool. All right. So uh, next up is issue number six. Uh, this one came out in January of 1994. And is not one, but three issues or three stories. So we'll kind of do it a little differently and we'll we'll do the synopsis of one story and then we'll kind of talk about that one and then we'll go into the next one. So uh, this is like three short stories in, in one issue. All right. So uh, first off is the cover. It shows in the middle of the cover, we see a shot of a very serious looking Cisco. 
in front of him is a like a holographic type image of the Saratoga racing away from a board cube. And then behind uh, Benjamin Sisko is a picture of Locutus. So maybe this is the big Deep Space Nine next generation crossover we've all been waiting for. It's not, so don't get too excited. All right, and uh, to each side of this picture, there's two little rectangular windows. And uh, in one picture, there's or one window, there's a picture of Keiko O'Brien. And in the other one, we see a shot of Morn, Bashir, and Quark. So the first story is entitled Field Trip. And all of these have different writers and artists and stuff, so... I'll be giving a lot of these. Writer was Mike W. Barr. Artist is Rob Davis and Terry Pallett. Letterer is Patrick Woosley. And editor is Tom Mason and Mark Panacea. Cisco and Dax has joined Keiko O'Brien and her class on a field trip to the Gamma Quadrant. While the kids are getting ready to depart the planet that they've been exploring nog and jake are being typical kids and acting as if they were officers on an away team nog is the captain and jake is his first commander and science officer as the runabout rio grande is leaving the atmosphere dax notices a buildup of some sort and then the control panel explodes that knocks both cisco and dax out cold Keiko is able to confirm that they'll be okay, but does not know where or how to steer the craft towards the wormhole. On Deep Space Nine, Miles O'Brien is stressing out that the runabout is delayed. Kira assures him that they are okay, and she mentions that the only other runabout that they have is the Ganges, and it's under maintenance. She says that she'll have the crews start to work a little faster on the craft so that they can send out a search party. On the Rio Grande, Jake and Keiko talk in private about how dire the situation is. The air is not getting circulated right, and some of the children are starting to complain about being tired. Nog is still role-playing and states that he can read no activity from the wormhole, Captain. At first, Jake tells him that this is no time for playing, but then he gets inspired by the comment. He and Keiko then use Dax's handheld tricorder to detect the neutrinos from the wormhole and head towards home. On Deep Space Nine, Kira and O'Brien note that the runabout has returned. Sometime later, Sisko tells the crew that he may leave Jake and Keiko in charge of the station while he recuperates from his injuries. The end. Short and sweet. Right. Short and sweet. Kind of reminds me of those Happy Meal stories. <laughs> All so long ago. Wow, you have a memory, Ken. I do? <laughs> yeah, that was like 90 episodes ago. a long time ago. ago. Yeah, that was, that was a long time ago. Uh, yeah, so those Happy Meals stories, uh, they were just like a few panels, though, weren't they? Or no, those were, which ones are you talking about? The ones that were on the back of the Happy Meal or the ones that were in those little strips? I'm, I'm talking more about the ones that were on the boxes. Right, right. Now, those ones that were in the strips were really like, oh my God, what the <laughs> hell, what the heck is this? It's like... Uh, it's like they, they stop somebody on the street. Hey, hey, you, come on over here. We, we need you to draw something. Come on, just draw, you know, <laughs> Spock. You've seen Star Trek, right? Draw Spock. You know, no, don't take much time. But they, they, were, they were horrible. Horrible art. Yes, and, and the, some jumps in the story that, that you had to kind of feel in with your own imagination. Uh, right, 
Right. Which I will agree, this one has that problem because I guess because it's only what six pages long. It seems like some of the dialogue they switch on who it's supposed to be saying it. Right. I mean, like, 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 uh, you know, Jake says, "That's a great idea, Nog." And then the very next panel shows Keiko explaining the idea that Jake may or may not have just had. Right. <laughs> so it's like, shouldn't Jake be the one saying, you know, what the idea was instead of, you know, it just seemed weird. It'd be like yeah. me saying, Ken, I have an idea. And then you just tell the audience what the idea was. Right. Yep. <laughs> just weird. Yeah. Yep. Well, yeah, I, I don't know whether this is like a little experiment they had. It's like, okay, it's a six issue. Yeah, let's mix it up a little bit. You know, people have a short attention span. Let's let's, let's try three mini stories. We should probably get to the end before we proclaim this experiment a failure. But at <laughs> least so far, I, I, I'm not feeling the love on this issue so far. Right. Yeah. Yeah, my comment. I thought the drawing of Keiko on the cover does not look like Keiko at all. Well, a bit like her, but you know, right. again, not, not overly Asian in her features. But right. then, but then the drawing of her inside you know the first drawing the first time you see her on the inside it, it does look like her but like right. the actress so it's like okay you should have done that in the cover but whatever yeah I, I'll agree that the the artwork on the cover for her is not perfect right so they only have three runabouts on the station uh, obviously this was all previous to the defiant coming along sure um, as like I would have thought they would have had more than three runabouts, but who knows? Maybe they did only have three. I don't know. Well, I, I, I'm I'm curious. Where where are you getting the three? Well, when they're saying what the situation is. Uh-huh. Okay, so one of the runabouts is on the other side of whatever with the kids. Right. And then the other one's in the shop. Right. And where was the third one again? Uh, let me see. Well, the the Genghis was destroyed Ganges. last issue. And then here it's saying that it's just having some minor maintenance done. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, Which so I, is, it, is this only talking about two of them then? Am I off? Yeah. They've only got two? Yeah, they're saying there's only two, but... Oh, okay. If that's true, then then there should really only be one because the Genghis was destroyed. Last right. issue. Yep. So well, I was a little confused the, on that. Yeah, well, you're, you're expecting some consistency here. Uh, yeah. you act like that's a weird thing to want well in this yes it is weird (laughs) (laughs) all right yeah but but no no but another this is this is just this is fluff you know somebody wrote this quick and dirty they probably did it did it over a lunch break or something and they're like okay oh well okay so we have to leave them there and get back by themselves so we can't have help from the station so let's make them only have two ships all right all right uh even though uh i I, i'm pretty sure i heard enough names during the tv show that they had more than two right but but i can only name the rio grande the ganges and the I don't know. Those are the only two I can that come to mind. Right, because those are the two they just told you about. Well, but also, <laughs> but no, but th- no, that's I, the one I, that I, they I, often. Those are the ones they often mentioned, you know, in the show. Right. So, but didn't the Genghis just blow up? Yes, but that was a totally different issue. <laughs> I mean, come on. You, 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 
who knows when they produce them? I mean, this thing, this thing, this particular issue seems so far askew. Uh, you know, the people that were involved in writing it and and artistry work and and it just looks so different and, and the format's so different. It's like from the other issues we've read so right. far, it's like you know, where'd this thing come from? I mean, yeah, I agree. I'd like to have consistency, continuity, but come on, this thing was like out of left field. This issue. Right. No, I'm with you. Yeah. I am with you. All right, and then uh, so aside from that, um, my only other note is that when when they do head into the wormhole, right? Doesn't it look like there? It's like a hand. That is the that's my last comment. Also, the same thing. It's like spoky fingers are reaching out for the runabout. Right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it right. has too many fingers. It's like a six-fingered man. Right. Just grabbing yeah. Right. Runabout. Right. But. But if you don't if you don't count the number of, of fingers, <laughs> it kind of it, it gives you the feeling of like a hand, right? Which yeah. you know obviously that was a conscious decision. Um, I'm not sure why they did it, but they did it, and uh, it's like a subliminal kind of thing, I guess, to some degree. Right. Yep. And um, actually, I do have one more comment on the yes. the first page of the actual story. Uh-huh. When Nog and Jake are doing their little Cap- Commander Cisco Captain Nog right. play, yeah. uh, the second balloon, the the very bottom balloon in in the page, it looks like it's going to both of them. When it says, "I confirm the, these readings, Science Officer." Okay. Oh yeah, it kind of yeah right right. So the word balloon is definitely more pronounced coming from Nog. You know the little the little. Out of the little spike that comes right. out, for lack of a better word, um, it's definitely more pronounced going towards Nog. But yeah, there's a little same kind of thing coming out towards Jake. All right. So at first I thought, well, maybe they were both saying it at the same time, but that doesn't make sense. Yeah, it makes more sense for this to be Nog saying it. Yep. Mm. yep. Okay. Well, it's probably just a miscoloring. I bet it's maybe that that kid's shirt in front of them it has a little white in it. Has a little white in it. Even though what you, the rest of the shirt that you can see is red. all red and dark red. I don't know. Maybe. Exactly. Yeah. Who knows? I'm just giving them benefit of it out, but it just it looked a little odd and, and threw me for a minute or two. Yeah. Yep. All right. You ready to keep going? I am. All right. So story number two is called Pickpocket, and its writer is John Vornholt. The artist is Rob Davis and Terry Pallet. Letterer is Dave. Lapira, I probably mispronounced that, but I'm just going to keep going. Editors are Tom Mason and Mark Pensia. So Bashir is at Quark's bar talking to our favorite Ferengi, Quark himself. Bashir notices that the bar is empty, and Quark notes that the there's a pickpocket around, and he's and he or she has been stealing everyone's um, items. So no one dares venture into this area of the promenade. Or basically just Quark's Bar. Bashir notices that he too has been a victim when he realizes that his communicator is missing. He's able to contact Dax, and she's able to track down the communicator to a trash bin. But she is not able to help find the thief. She's too busy doing other stuff. And Odo is off station doing something at a convention or something, and Bashir can find no one to help him. So he takes it upon himself to find the dastardly villain. 
He walks the promenade and questions the various victims. They are no help. No one noticed anything. Cork and Bashir then enlist the aid of Morn and a few other friends of Cork's. They are given fake jewels and jewelry that are laced with a traceable compound from Bashir. Their job is to flaunt the jewels and to get them stolen. Then they will find where they go. Soon, all of the bait is gone, and Bashir walks the halls tracking the isotopes that he placed on the items. He tracks the items to a little baby carriage that's being pushed by a Klingon woman. They watch, and as they watch, they can see how the racket works. When people slow to look at the little cute baby, the woman uses a transporter or the woman uses a transporter in the stroller to beam the items into the carriage. Bashir confronts the woman, but she pulls out a knife out of a baby bottle. Before she can stab the good doctor, he uses the hand or he uses the handle of the stroller to beam the knife out of her hand. Cork is then able to knock her out with a vase over the head. Sometime later, Odo returns from being off station. He informs Bashir that the baby was actually kidnapped and has now safely been returned to his proper family. He also states that he will never leave again so that the safety of the station is not the doctor's and bartender's responsibility. Little joke there at the end. But I'm bummed. I'll never leave again. Yes, so, Odo, you are the jokester. <laughs> so... Obviously, the artwork in this one is quite a bit different than the last uh, the last story and the last couple of issues. Yep. Yeah. yeah, so we have different people. I, I guess I didn't compare them all, or at least I haven't for a while, but... Well... Okay, so Pickpocket and the last one are the same, but the first... Yeah, Bob Davis and Terry Pallet. No, mm-hmm. it is the same artist. Unless same I wrote this down. As who? Mm. Uh, field trip and pickpocket. At least that's what, that's what I wrote down, and maybe I just oh, didn't, yeah, didn't no, write it down are, right. They are different artists. They are the same artist. Yeah. Something's different. Oh, it's the well. The style looks different, but yeah, the style's a lot different. Maybe it's the colorist. I don't. I don't know. Uh, they don't list a colorist. No. Wow, that's you're right. It is the same. Yeah. Different. But, different writers, but same artists. Interesting, because hmm. I thought they hmm. were completely different. Yeah. Oh, well. Well, anyways, it looks different. Right. So uh, we got Bashir playing uh, somebody else. You know, not a doctor. So he's played spy on the TV show, He and he plays a detective in this one. Right. So good for you. And visually, he plays Data. <laughs> He does look a little data-esque, especially there at the beginning. Yeah, at the beginning where there's actually, uh, where he realizes, oh my god, my comm badge is missing. They've got a big yellow kind of halo going around his head kind of sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know whether it's all the yellow around his head, but his face looks very pale and almost kind of a yellow tint to him. And he looks very serious, and he, he looks like data. Yep, he does. Yeah. And um, in this issue, I loved seeing Morn. Oh, yeah. Right. Anytime Morn shows up, I always enjoy. Yeah. And of course, just in case people might not know who Morn is, which I can't see that happening, but 
He he's the really big guy who's always in the bar drinking, usually. And he's always telling dirty jokes off screen. <laughs> I always thought that was a great little running gag that they're always like it always cuts over and they're all laughing. Oh man, that was a good one, Moy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yet uh, on the show he never spoke once. No. No. Which was fantastic. Yeah. The I, I don't know how easy it would be to get that, that huge mouthpiece or the the head prosthetic to uh I mean, I'm sure they can do it, but Right. I think there was a few times he opened his mouth but he never actually said anything. Oh. <laughs> it's kinda like the whole uh Maggie on the Simpsons. You know, right. It's either just finished talking or it was just about to say something and something would happen. Right. So yeah, I always loved I loved Morn character. Cool. Which was obviously a, a an homage to Norm from Cheers. Yeah. Norm. Right. The pickpocket being the mom with the baby with a knife in the baby bottle. I thought that was all a little cheesy. Uh, yeah. And so, and what was a Klingon doing as a, as being a thief? I mean, it's like, do they normally have Klingon thieves? I thought it was an interesting choice of person. Don't uh, be racist. Klingons can be thieves if they want to be. I I just thought they were all warriors and stuff. But yeah, yeah that's fine. <laughs> Yeah, I, I didn't like the trans. I thought the transporter and the handle was actually kind of kind of cool at first, but then when he uses it to beam yeah. the knife out of her hand, I was like, eh, okay, now it's getting a little gimmicky. It's, it is, and how how do you lock it on a on an object? Does it right. automatically go to the nearest metal object? I mean, yeah, which was silly. Know. And the whole idea that he used her own tool of larceny on her to catch her oh that's so ironic or whatever the right term is and it's mm-hmm. like and it's like you didn't have to do that but okay fine whatever <laughs> and besides she could probably still kick your uh, butt Bashir I mean she's a Klingon woman right good thing good thing Quark found that vase to break over her yeah. head yeah which was also like seriously how many vases do you see on Deep Space Nine <laughs> <laughs> it's very like Agatha yeah. Christie type yeah. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, that was actually my last comment. Yeah. I, I just had a day to comment. That's really about it. Next. All right. Next. So story number three, entitled Program 359. So it starts off with Bashir and Dax literally bumping into one another due to Bashir walking around with his nose in his data pad. As they are talking, Cisco leaves the holodeck. He greets them pleasantly and walks away. Dax states that she's been very worried about him because he has been in a bad mood every time he leaves the holodeck, except for this time. Bashir does not think she has anything to worry about, but he does note that Cisco left a program that he was running open, or not deleted or erased. I forget how they word it. Dax talks the doctor into starting the program up, and they enter. They find themselves on the bridge of the Saratoga as it's being attacked by the Borg. This time, however, Sisko is in command and calling all the shots. He orders a concentrated attack to lower part of the Borg cube shields, and then he beams over a 50-man assault squad. The transportation does not work. The men, instead of rematerializing in the Borg cube, instead rematerialize in the vacuum of space. 
Cisco then orders the warp nacelles to overload, and he ejects them towards the cube. The nacelles explode, but the cube is undamaged. The two voyeurs are so engrossed into the simulation that they miss that the real Cisco has joined them, and he orders the holodeck to halt. Dax explains that she's been very worried about him, and that she does not understand the purpose of this simulation. Cisco states that he thinks this is very therapeutic, because he has been able to try every strategy he knows, and he is now confident that there was nothing he could have done to save the ship and to save his wife. He then orders the computer to erase program 359. Well, the main thing I have to say about this story is they showed Locutus on the cover, and you don't even see him in this story. No, you don't. He's not even there. False advertising. (laughs) Yeah, I was wondering about that, because, I mean, DC Comics is doing Next Generation... So I was actually wondering if they could even have Locutus or Picard in these issues, since hmm? since technically uh, <clears throat> DC Comics probably has the rights to do that character. Right. But they and, have the right to put a next-gen character on the cover? Well, Weird. if you look at the cover, his face is obscured by, you know, maybe a, a oh. little over a third. So, oh. I mean, looking at it, you know who it is. But of course. I don't know. Yeah. It might be one of those little gray gray areas. I mean, it was kind of weird that another publication company got the rights to Deep Space Nine than the ones that was putting out Next Gen and, and yeah. the original series. But well, especially since they were doing so much of it. Right. Uh, I mean, DC was really flooding the market. And at the time, it was selling. Yeah. I mean, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have made them if they weren't selling the books. So I, sure. I, I think those books were actually doing really well at this time. Yeah. And as you'll see, I think Balibu may have overcompensated because I think they crank out way more books on just Deep Space Nine than, than DC does on the original series and Next Gen. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so these are monthly, but they They're they monthly, accelerate? but then... But then they came out with a bunch of specials, and they would come out with mini-series for this and a mini-series for that. I mean, oh. the main series, I think it only lasted like 30-something issues. Oh. But then they have tons of little mini-series and one-offs, and they did a celebrity series where they had an issue written by Mark Leonard and then another one written by Aaron Eisenberg, who played Nog. Oh. So, I mean... Why would Mark Leonard be writing a Deep Space Nine issue? But I can <laughs> they think got of him no to reason. do it, and, uh, <laughs> and they cranked it out. So, like I said, they really was pushing out the issues <laughs> until they lost the lost the license to Marvel. Oh, which was kind of weird because technically Marvel owned Malibu, so it was kind of uh, also a weird thing. Hmm. I didn't know that. Uh, I think by or the time if you mentioned it before, I've forgotten. Yeah, well, it, originally Malibu was a um, independent, and then at some point it got bought out by Marvel. Oh. So uh, I don't know if at this point it was Marvel yet. But anyways, back to this issue. I wasn't a fan of this third story. No, I think this is the icing on the cake of the I, overall I, issue. Yeah, I didn't really get why the fifty-man assault squad ended up being beamed into space instead of on the station. Well, 
I, I can only assume that the transporter beam was blocked by the shields, but but they don't they don't explain it. Right. I mean, you have to assume that kind. You have to make up your own explanation. Right. Although I will say that the idea of 50 people being beamed over and ending up in space is a little ooh. That's a little. That's a little that's in, a, your, in your face. That's a big transporter pad. Well, maybe they had more than one. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Anyways, you know the moral of this story is is that if you're going to use a public computer, delete your internet history. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Be careful about your holodeck programs. Right, because you don't know who's going to come up behind you. I'm like, oh, well, I can just continue his story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I also didn't understand why it was a voyeuristic type thing. I mean, I I would think that Cisco would be in there calling the shots as himself. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Instead of watching a program. A, a program version of himself call the shots. That, that seemed right. a little weird. Yeah. And the other thing is all these different scenarios he's trying, simulations or whatever, you know... Knowing how an attack would fare against the Borg is only going to be as good as what you know about your enemy. Right. So it's like the whole idea that somehow Borg shields were going to keep those transporter beams from going over uh, for the 50 people or whatever. It's like, how would you know that? It's like, I don't know. Right. I mean, the, the whole idea of doing these trial and error simulations uh, you know, can only possibly be good as, as good as what you know about your enemy. But then how much do you really know, really? Don't know. I, I don't know. They they do that a lot on deep, on Star Trek that I don't yeah. really care for. Yeah. Computer, run a simulation on stuff that you've never seen before. Yeah. Computing. You know, it, it doesn't yeah. say that anymore, but <laughs> you get what yeah. I'm saying, though, right? Yep. And it was like, oh, there's a... This would happen. Really? Yeah. How would you know that? Yeah. <laughs> well, what was that one? Was it Was it... Was it Jack the Ripper, or was it... Dr. Moriarty or something where it's a holodeck character that, that achieved consciousness or something like that. Yeah, yeah this, was a, this was a next gen. Right. Yeah. Moriarty did. So that was Moriarty. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, create, you know, take everything you know about Moriarty and create an artificial character. It's like, even with on, that, I mean, how do you... On par with Data's capabilities. Oh, and th- right. That, that's how he did it. That he instead of saying on par with Sherlock Holmes's capabilities, he said on par with Data. So then it made him super sentient or whatever. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And if you could do that, then why wouldn't there be a million Datas? Right. Just holographic Datas. Right. Well. Don't think about the, it too hard, Ken. The Doctor in Voyager seems pretty doggone sentient to me. But that's a mistake. Well. It's not supposed to be running that long. Oh, what was me? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Anyways. All right. So, uh, so overall, you didn't care for the short story. No. Format. Motif. No. No. Yeah. Not so much. They will do this again a few issues um, late later. Oh, will they? Hmm. Yeah. I don't know why. I, I wouldn't. A, I wouldn't a fan either. I think it's a failed experiment, but because okay. I think that you don't get enough time. Yeah to really flesh out a story in, right. in five or six pages. Yep, I agree. All right, normally at the end of the episode, we go over elsewhere in Expanded Universe. With Deep Space Nine, this being our technically our first Deep Space Nine episode of 
the 90s. We would have to go over all of season one and a good chunk of season two as far as what episodes were coming out. So we're not going to do that. You don't want us to be sitting here just, hey, you remember that episode? Blah, blah. That was really good. You know, that's that's boring. Next one. So, <laughs> so uh, I guess we'll just kind of, I don't know. The first two, uh, well, we're just going to go over the episodes that came out these three months, uh, which there was, what, like five or six. Um, really, the the first two are the ones that I remember uh, more than some of these other ones. Um, the uh, the f- one that came out on November 7th was called Rules of Acquisition, which was maybe the first time they really established that Ferengi women are supposed to be naked and subservient to the men and things like that, because that's the one where Quark has a, a partner that he thinks is a man but kind of turns out to be a woman. That one I thought was actually a good episode. Yeah, you get to learn a lot more detail about the Ferengi. Right. But one of my favorite episodes of the first two seasons of Deep Space Nine is the the next one, Necessary Evil, which was a flashback for, episode for the most part, uh, going over what Odo's role was on Torek Nor when the Cardassians were in control over it. And it's kind of a, an investigation of a murder. Right. But it was it was really good because it showed how the Bajorans were being treated. I think even Kira is there and, and things like yep. that. It's it's a really good flashback episode. Yeah. Yeah, because you don't know a lot about how it was on the station. Right. Uh, yeah. At least I, I, I'm pretty sure to this point you didn't know that much. But Right. And they do they do more of those flashback episodes later when you know they start establishing that uh, Goldacott had a relationship with Kira's mom and things like mm-hmm. that. But I, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first one that kind of did that. Like, uh, here's how it was back way back when. Right, right. And I thought it was really good. Me too. Second sight, you remember that one? I don't. So we might have to skip that one. No, but uh, Cisco develops feelings for a woman visiting the station, but there is more to her than meets the eye. Ooh, she's a transformer. Oh my God. She changes into a uh, an Autobot. No, I don't think so. No, oh. All right. Well, uh, we'll skip that one then. The next one, Sanctuary. Sanctuary actually, I think, is a little bit like that issue we read today, right? Where. There's some yep. um, Gamma Quadrant aliens that are seeking refuge or... Yep. Um, but, I mean, they even... I didn't remember this, but I'm just reading this online right now. Uh, claim Bajor as their home. Oh, really? Yes. Which I could see that being like, oh, huh? <laughs> that, that could be interesting. Okay. I, don't, I don't remember it myself, but... Yeah, I don't remember it either. But I remember them being aliens that came over, and I thought I thought it was more like the story we just read, where they were being persecuted by a, a Gamma Quadrant alien. Yeah. But I might be misremembering. Yeah, I don't know the details, but this is uh, the race is called the Scryas, Scri- I guess. Okay. Hmm. All right. Well, we don't we don't have much to talk about that one then. No. Um, no. What about the next one, Rivals? Yes, Rivals. A con artist opens a new bar that competes with Quarks. Huh. It's, yeah. And then the subplot on this one is O'Brien and Brashear kind of becoming friends and mm-hmm. 
always trying to beat one or the other. Is it darts that they're doing on this one? Uh, a separate but related story involves O'Brien's attempts to get in shape so that he can compete effectively with Bashir at racquetball. Racquetball. Oh, racquetball. Racquetball, yeah. Yeah, I, I was thinking that this was one of the ones that kind of established their rivalry that 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 plays into all the episodes later. Right. Okay. All right. Next up is the alternate. Um, alternate. Don't remember this one at all. Oh no, this is the one that that used to. Uh, the guy that used to kind of torture Odo. Oh. Right. Hmm. And, and Odo always saw him as being a, you know, evil, you know, always probing him with the electrical rod and things like that. And then this right. guy's like, ah, it's the one who taught you how to talk. You needed that. Otherwise, you'd still be a... A, a blob. A, a blob, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hard love. Odo's former teacher believes he has found a life form similar to Odo in the Gamma Quadrant. All right, so... All right, and then the next one we'll talk about this episode is called the Armageddon Game. Right. I don't remember this one. Is it a holodeck thing? Yeah, it's the one with uh, Bruce Willis, and uh, <laughs> and they drill a hole, and, uh, I don't know, nuclear bomb or something. I think you're confused. Uh, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, Bashir and O'Brien are sent to help dismantle a deadly biological weapon. Wow, that's hmm. not that's not doing it. Not for ringing me. a bell. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. well, I guess we got some some back issues to watch or back episodes to watch. Right. All right. So I think that's uh, that's enough time. We probably should yeah. let folks get back to whatever sure. they're doing. And that takes us through January thirtieth, so of ninety four. Right. Yep. So next week uh, we'll jump into original series again with episode or I'm sorry issues 52 53 and 54 so just real quick did you notice any difference between these next these Deep Space Nine issues and the next gen and original series issues that are coming out of the same time quality wise they're about the same wouldn't you say Mm. well definitely issue six isn't right right Um, the the, uh, four and five Pretty good, you know. Yeah, so, pretty good quality. So just to kind of put you in perspective uh, of the time, these issues cost two dollars and fifty cents each. Where at the same time you could get the uh, next gen or original series for a dollar seventy-five. Huh. So it's seventy-five cents more to get Deep Space Nine issues. Do they have more pages, more panels, less nope. less ads? Nope, nope, and uh, nope. Hmm. I think the difference was the the type of paper. Oh. They they didn't use or Malibu's not using. Well, you know what? I don't think DC was using um, newspaper print at that time either. So I don't know. Probably because it was an independent, they they charge more. Like Dark mm-hmm. Horse and IDW now are a little more expensive than you know Marvel yeah. and DC is. Because they probably do, don't do the same kind of volume. Maybe or maybe because. I don't know, maybe because they, they focus more on the license stuff. Because I, oh. I don't think getting the license for Star Trek's cheap. No, I bet it isn't. So you might have to charge a little bit more to get that uh, to cover your cost. Right. 
All right, I was just wanting to throw that out there because seeing that 250 price tag on there, I was like, oh yeah, that's why I didn't buy these when they were coming out. Because <laughs> that was a little too pricey. <laughs> it's almost double what you were paying. Yeah, well. All right, yeah, so... and it certainly isn't double quality. No. And it was characters. Eh, Deep Space Nine. That's not going to catch on. I know these other guys. <laughs> right. Just kidding. Yeah, All right. Besides, it's just a uh, a clone of Babylon Five. Jeez, come on. I never watched that either. I've I've seen the first couple episodes. I thought that was good, but I never fin- I never I never got it. As soon as it comes on Netflix, I'm watching that. One. Yeah. yeah it, both series were were very good. It just seems like quite a coincidence that uh, two primetime space operas, both about space stations, should come out in the same year. They both started the same year. So. Right. Well, you know the 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 guy who created Babylon Five. I forgot his name. I know you know it. Michael J. Straczynski. Yeah, he 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 claims that Paramount stole his idea. Uh oh, because he shopped it to them first as a right. Uh He shopped it to them. They said no, and then a year later or whatever, Deep Space Nine came out. Huh. <laughs> Yeah, you might have mentioned that before. I'm not sure, but that's uh, hmm, interesting. So I hope that's not true. I would hate to think. Yeah, I'd, I'd hate to think. So. Yeah, exactly. But you never know. Hollywood's I mean, a, a cutthroat place. It is, and uh, they like to reuse ideas. Um, right. All right. So anything else, Ken, or should we? Nothing else, let man. The folks, go. Let's uh, wrap up. Until next time, guys. We'll talk to you later. Sounds great. Thanks for joining us on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic second name Book Review See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review